I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And today I want to talk a little bit uh, about the relationship between Mao and Khrushchev um, following the death of Stalin. And to do this, I'm going to be reading from um, Mao's Great Famine by Frank Dakota today. And he starts the book by exploring the rather contrasting, conflicting and sometimes complex relationship between Stalin and Mao. Mao had started his uh, political career idolising Stalin um, and grew to bitterly resent him towards the Soviet dictator's death. Frank Dakota writes, Stalin's death in 1953 was Mao's liberation. For more than 30 years, Mao had had to play supplicant to the leader of the communist world. From the age of 27, when he was first handed his uh, first cash payment of 200 yuan by a Soviet agent, to cover the cost of travelling to the founding meeting of the Chinese Communist Party in Shanghai. Mao's life was transformed by Russian funds. He had no qualms about taking the money and used the Moscow link to lead a ragged band of guerrilla fighters to ultimate power, but not without endless reprimands from Moscow, expulsions from office and battles over party policy with Soviet advisers. Stalin constantly forced Mao back into the arms of his sworn enemy, Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek, the leader of the nationalist Kuomintang that ruled much of China. Stalin placed little faith in Mao and his peasant soldiers and openly favoured Chiang, even after the Kuomintang had presided over a bloody massacre of communists in Shanghai in 1927. For the best part of a decade, Chiang's troops relentlessly hounded and embattled Mao, forcing the communists to find refuge on a mountain base, then to traverse some 12,500 kilometres north in a retreat later known as the Long March. When Chiang was kidnapped in Xi'an in 1936, Stan, um, Stalin promptly sent a telegraph ordering Mao to release his hostage unharmed. After Japan had invaded China a year later, Stalin demanded that Mao again form a united front with his arch-enemy Chiang, sending planes, arms and advisers to the Kuomintang regime. 
All mail got during the Second World War was a plain load of propaganda leaflets. So there was a, a deep resentment there. Now, why did Stalin um, ha- take this approach to Mao, um, this suspicion? Well, Mao was deviating from um, Marxist-Leninism and Stalinism. He believed that the peasants would be the revolutionary class that would um, overthrow capitalism, and he believed uh, that one could even sidestep the um, processes that Stalin was introducing in China, in, in the Soviet Union, and fast track a peasant communist China to modernity, uh, to socialist modernity. Um, and so Stalin, A, didn't like a deviationist, and B, didn't like the possibility of a, a rival in peasant China who was uh, possibly uh, going to be the leader of world communism uh, at some point. Uh, it was far better to have a reliable anti-Japanese power, Chiang Kai-shek, the, the, the nationalist, whom he could have uh, dealings with um, and who would be a solid force to keep the Japanese at bay than Mao, who was far more untested and who might turn out to be more trouble than he was worth later on. Mao's rebellious streak, his um, determination to do things his way, was troubling for Stalin. Stalin, who'd had uh, difficulties enough with uh, independent variants of communism in Yugoslavia, certainly didn't want to see a Tito figure in China. Mao was finally invited to Moscow in December 1949, but not really um, welcomed as the leader of a great revolution, um, however, he was he was invited for Stalin's birthday celebrations, uh, but left days uh, for on his own uh, before Stalin would see him. Um, and he was only one guest in uh, a host of many other delegates uh, to go to Moscow, um, and was given basically the impression that he wasn't particularly important. And this was uh, deliberate, and and uh, this was precisely what Stalin wanted to communicate to Mao. Um, Mao was taken to a dasher outside Moscow and left to wait uh, until Stalin chose to see him again. Um, And it was a way of uh, not too subtly showing Mao his place. Um, Stalin, um, when he finally deigned to see Mao, um, gave Mao $300 million in military aid uh, over five years, far less than Mao had, had hoped for. Um, and Mao, in return, had to throw in territorial concessions, um, the Treaty Port of Lushan or Port Arthur, uh, parts of the um, Eastern Railway in Manchuria that the Russians had built in the late 19th century. Um, and it reminded uh, Mao of the uh, treaties imposed on China by the British in the 19th century, and opposition to imperialism had been one of the the key uh, strengths of Mao's movement. And so to have this kind of slap in the face from another imperial power was uh, something uh, that Mao would never, never forgive. Um, uh, the ability to mine mineral deposits in Xinjiang um, 
was also claimed by Stalin, uh, th uh, the kinds of uh, things needed to create um, weapons, to create uh, artillery shells, um, the kinds of ores create needed uh, to uh, create um, steel. Uh, all of these were mined uh, from uh, China's uh, very mineral-rich earth. During the Korean War, the uh, death toll uh, for the Chinese was immense, and Stalin's promised air cover rarely came. A another sign that Stalin was not very interested in whether the um, Chinese prevailed or, or not. So all is considered. When Stalin died, it was a, a relief for Mao that the, his humiliation at the hands of Stalin was to come to uh, an end. And the Korean War was the kind of the, 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 the final nail in the coffin of the, the Mao-Stalin relationship. Um, and there was... A belief by Mao and his contemporaries in China that China should be treated as an equal. That China was every bit the communist power that Russia was. And the Russians did not agree with this. That They looked upon China as the, the disobedient pupil um, that needed to be educated and was trying to rush into socialist development and didn't really know what it was doing. So when Stalin died... The ability of China to make a break with Russia or to secure some kind of political independence from Russia and to stake out a claim for the leadership of, the, of world socialism uh, was abundantly, uh, abundantly present, or so Mao thought. Um, the way Mao looked upon things is that whoever followed Stalin would be an insignificant figure. Um, within the Soviet Union. However, he was a, a colossus that strode uh, the world stage, and particularly he was the most significant figure in, in world communism, and so that he should be the person to take Stalin's crown, so to speak, and that it, he would be the person who would finally uh, defeat capitalism, who would finally end the, the struggle with capitalism, um, and it would be Beijing that would be the centre of world communism in the end, not Moscow. And the reason why Mao was so sure about this was that if, if China was to adopt a, a peasant route to socialism, then it was fair to say that in 1953, a majority of the world's population still toiled on the land and still uh, toiled on the land in poverty. Uh, so this was going to be the, the revolutionary constituency, not just in China, but perhaps in Africa, in South America, in India, and maybe even in Russia itself. When Mao looked at Stalin, he thought, well, here is somebody who um, was secondary to Lenin and Trotsky when it came about bringing about the October Revolution. So when Mao looked at Nikita Khrushchev, he thought even less. He thought, well, this person uh, is a complete non-entity. It's not like me who has brought this um, kind of second October revolution, if you like, to China. Um, this is um, a, a, an also-ran. Um, so here I, write, here I read again from Mao's Great Famine on Khrushchev. 
Coarse, erratic and impulsive, Khrushchev was viewed by many who knew him as an oaf, limited in both ability and ambition. It was precisely this reputation that had allowed him to survive into Stalin, who treated him with an affectionate condescension that saved him from the fate of far more impressive colleagues who blundered in their dealings with the dictator. My little Marx, Stalin once mockingly called him, gently tapping his pipe against Khrushchev's forehead and joking. It's hollow! Khrushchev was Stalin's pet, but he was as paranoid as Stalin, and underneath deceptive, uh, and underneath deceptive clumsiness was a cunning and hugely ambitious man. Khrushchev was scathing of Stalin's handling of Mao, and resolved to outdo his former master by putting relations in Beijing on a new footing. He would be Mao's benevolent tutor, steering the peasant rebel towards a more enlightened form of Marxism. Khrushchev also played the role of beneficent patron, presiding over a massive transfer of technology as hundreds of factories and plants were financed with Soviet aid. Advisors in every domain, from atomic energy to mechanical engineering, were sent to China, while some 10,000 Chinese students were trained in the Soviet Union in the first years following Stalin's death. So there you can see already that um, Khrushchev misunderstood Mao's intentions after 1953. He misunderstood Mao's ambition and thought that Mao could be used and could be steered, could be guided, could be educated um, to be a uh, appliant Soviet um, client dictator. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. However, um, when the this transfer of um, materials of expertise and technology from the Soviet Union to China happens, uh, instead of receiving immense gratitude, the Soviets are baffled by um, the the kind of the arrogance and the sense of entitlement that they find in China. Um, Frank Dakota writes, Instead of showing gratitude, leaders of Beijing saw this largesse as their due, seeking to extract ever greater amounts of economic and military support through a mixture of bargaining, begging and cajoling. Khrushchev gave in. Having overplayed his hand, 
He had to bully his colleagues in Moscow into accepting an aid package that far outstripped what the Soviet Union could afford. So Khrushchev, at this point, is trying to satisfy China. And he thought that there would be some reciprocity here, some quid pro quo. But Mao treated him with contempt. Um, uh, he looked upon Mao, uh, looked upon Khrushchev, in much the way that Stalin had as the kind of uh, upstart jobs worth uncultured and uneducated um, and in 1956 when Khrushchev denounced Stalin in the secret speech Mao was apoplectic firstly Mao had not been consulted and Mao considered himself now of such a stature in the communist world that any major announcement or utterance needed to be run by him first which shows you again Mao's ego and his vanity also Mao in the in communist China was modelling communist China on um, on high Stalinism with uh, labour camps, uh, mass killings, and famines, and all the um, all the processes of collectivisation that Stalin had brought about in the Soviet Union. So. Any criticism of Stalin and any criticism of Stalinism was an implied criticism of Mao as well. De-Stalinization in, um, Chris, in Mao's eyes was uh, a challenge to Mao's uh, position. De-Maoization, I suppose he, he saw it as. And Mao believed if anyone was there to criticise Stalin, it was him, not a little upstart like Khrushchev. In 1956 too... At the Eighth Party Congress in Beijing in September, the references to Mao Zedong thought started to be removed from the party's constitution. Why? Because the secret speech had, uh, there had been sort of effective ripples and shockwaves uh, around the world from the secret speech, and particularly around the communist world, where cults of personality and the infallibility of the leader, these all began to be questioned. So the secret speech did have um, real consequences uh, for Mao, um, and particularly uh, a vain and egotistical man like Mao, who could not stand to be uh, slighted or made to look foolish in any way. And another problem that Mao encountered uh, was his economic policy, which was referred to as the Socialist High Tide, uh, which ended in 1956 at the second plenum of the party conference. Um, a year earlier, Mao, displeased and uh, impatient with the very sort of ponderous and slow pace of economic development, had criticised and sort of character assassinated those who were more cautious. Um, he referred to them as women with bound feet who going too slow. So Mao thought that there would be a massive increase in agricultural output as a result of uh, collectivization. And in January 1956, he starts to demand hugely unrealistic increases in the output of uh, industrial uh, and agricultural uh, products, such as coal and steel and cotton uh, and grain. Uh, the economic predictions uh, that Mao was coming up with were partly the result of his own imagination and partly the result that nobody wanted to give Mao bad news and partly the result that Mao had purged 
too many experts, or he'd, he'd approach most experts, people that could give him um, more sober and realistic views about what was economically uh, economically possible. Um, these things, um, these predictions, obviously um, failed. Um, industrial production suffered from problems in in the cities. There were shortages of um, raw materials, or there were bottlenecks, or there was overproduction in certain, certain areas. Um, and there were shortages of funds to buy plant and machinery. There were shortages of fuel. Um, in the countryside, collectivization was an unmitigated disaster, as it had been in the Soviet Union. And uh, farmers um, slaughtered their cattle, much as the Soviet f- uh, farmers had done. And famine appeared in provinces during 1956. Um, so these economic shock tactics suddenly came in for uh, criticism. Zhou Enlai um, a court referred to these as the, the rash advance that had to, had to temporarily stop. Um, and so very quickly the size of collective farms uh, declined and a limited free market uh, emerged in, in the countryside. And Mao once again saw this as a, a personal challenge, uh, a, a personal slight. And so, um, in 1956, in the People's Daily newspaper, in June that month, uh, the paper was bold enough to actually criticise the socialist high tide um, for attempting to do all things overnight. Um, Mao scrawled on this, I will not read this. He scrawled on his own, his own copy of this. Um, and he later uh, questioned himself, saying... Why should I read something that abuses me? Um, he was further weakened um, because during the secret speech, um, Khrushchev had also highlighted the fact that collectivization had failed. So the very same policy that um, had caused famine in Ukraine and in Kazakhstan and in other parts of the Soviet Union um, had led to um, catastrophe in China as, as well. So the socialist high tide was scrapped at the Eighth Party Congress, making Mao, again, look foolish. Uh, and this was a, a resentment he would store up against Khrushchev for, for many years. Um, despite the fact that um, there were reservations from uh, other party leaders... Mao decided, as a result of this failing, um, to encourage criticism of the party in April 1957 with the 100 Flowers campaign. Now, about three or four years ago, I did a podcast on that, so it is in the archive somewhere. Mao um, basically hoped that um, by calling on everyday Chinese um, citizens to voice their opinions, a small number of his enemies and counter-revolutionaries, rightists, would be uncovered, and he assumed that the majority of Chinese people would say what a great job he'd been doing, so he could have both the best of both worlds, uh, a large number of large base of vocal support, and he could expose those people uh, who were were his enemies. Um, and he thought that what this would do is it would prevent the kind of process of de-Stalinization that was now causing chaos. In countries like uh, Hungary, which was um, enjoying the the very temporary overthrow of the communist regime there. Um, However, 
the 100 Flowers campaign leads to uh, the most vocal uprising against communism that uh, China has seen since 1949. And um, it resulted in uh, the, the, the brutal suppression of uh, the sources of dissent. Mao simply saw the uh, critics, he referred to them as bad elements who were trying to destroy the party and the revolution, and uh, Deng Xiaoping uh, was put in charge of the uh, counter-attack, which was uh, carried out with savage violence, um, targeting half a million people, um, who are mainly students and intellectuals, um, who were shipped off to do hard labour in, uh, in the countryside. Uh, the uh, thing that seems to keep reoccurring throughout the period 1949 to 1975 um, is that Mao, 1976 I believe, but when he died, that Mao um, is able to keep um, pulling these kinds of stunts to get back in control or to keep um, using extreme violence or chaos to place himself back in control. Um, the, again, the, the whole um, uh, issue of the Hundred Flowers was a humiliation to Mao, but the strategy was successful uh, in that it helped to create uh, the situation whereby Mao could reassert his power. The Hundred Flowers has two consequences. Firstly, it wipes out the majority of specialists, engineers, scientists, agronomists, intellectuals and architects who would be very useful during Mao's Great Leap Forward. Uh, and also, it encourages Mao to think that the socialist project is under siege from counter-revolutionaries and writers on all sides, and that these are the people who should be got rid of, and that the socialist high tide needed to be brought back with greater vigour, and now um, the Great Leap Forward, which leads to catastrophe from 1958 to 1962 and the biggest famine in human history needed to be launched. So, from the secret speech. The secret speech sent shockwaves through uh, Russia, through China, and the rest of the communist world, and it caused Mao to react in ways which contributed later to Mao's decision to launch the Great Leap Forward with disastrous consequences. Okay, well, I hope you used, you enjoyed that and found it useful. I'm going to finish there. Um, do remember to check out the following things. Come by the Explaining History uh, Facebook uh, group. Um, there's always a lively chat going on there. Uh, and also, if, if you can spare uh, a, a, a tiny stipend, the Explaining History uh, Patreon page always needs you. Uh, we survive in a tiny trickle of ad revenue, but not very much. So uh, donations from our benefactors is always uh, greatly received. Thanks very much. Enjoy your week, and I'll be back next week with another Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.